All right, today we're actually going to be looking at part two of a message that Pastor Herman started last Sunday called Reset My Heart. And in this message, in this series, we've really been looking at insights that we gain from Moses and his life and his interactions with God and what that teaches us about what it looks like to live our lives well, to go deeper in relationship with God. And so we're going to continue to look at Moses and a very particular interaction that he has with God. And so we're going to go ahead and start by reading our scripture. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word, as is our custom here. If you're not able to stand, please feel free to uh, stay seated. And we'll be reading from Exodus 33, verses 1 through 3, and then continuing on with verses 15 to 17. So, starting with verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. And then Moses responds in verse 15. Then Moses said back to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and know you by name. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing, the understanding and the doing of his word. God, we pray that you would be with us here today. And this passage, the passages that we're looking at are so rich. Uh, God, I ask for your help to do them justice, and we pray that you would speak to us exactly what each of us needs to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been going through this series, we've looked at this concept of resetting. It's been a great series as we've started the year, and we've looked at all sorts of different facets. We've looked at resetting our dreams. We've looked at resetting our courage. Last week, we talked about resetting our hearts, particularly with the idea of a reset in terms of taking ownership of the decisions that we make, uh, uh, not making excuses and not being governed by the opinion that other people have in our lives. And all of these have been important aspects of reset opportunities that God gives us to move forward in a new direction. They've flowed out of Moses' life as we've looked at the different experiences that he's had in the book of Exodus. And so we've looked at all sorts of different ways that we can reset. But I want to suggest, and what we're going to look at today, is that there's actually one way to reset that is truly fundamental in Scripture. It's a form of reset that is embedded in just about every story in Scripture. It's in just about every book as you go from the Old Testament. It's emphasized in the New Testament. 
And this form of reset that is at the very core of what it means to be able to have a relationship with God is called repentance. Repentance is the ultimate reset of our hearts. So the challenge is when we use this term repentance, when we talk about it, it often means different things to different people. We have different pictures that come to mind when we hear the word repentance, and not all of them are positive. Uh, For some of us, we may associate repentance with this feeling of like, isn't repentance just when you kind of beat yourself up or tear yourself down or just really kind of wallow in shame or guilt or feeling unworthy? That's what I've encountered repentance as and that doesn't feel like something I really want to engage in more. Or for other people, you might have this sense of repentance and it may have a strong spirit of judgment or condemnation to it. You may have experienced repentance primarily as something that one group of people think that another group of people should do. And repentance has basically been presented as something that you inflict on other people that you think need to change in one way or another. When we look at the true heart of repentance, of what the Bible actually describes repentance being, it really is neither of these things. And one of the best passages that we see that demonstrates why repentance is necessary and what repentance actually looks like is right here in Exodus. It's it's in chapters 32 to 34, and it comes between this interaction between God and Moses. And that's what we're going to look at today. So we've been in Exodus this whole series, and Exodus is kind of a long book. Like, a lot happens in Exodus. And one of the most important things in terms of understanding what's going on in Exodus, is making sure that we don't miss the forest from the trees, right? So there's a a lot of things that happen in Exodus. God brings the people out of Egypt. He parts the seas so that they can walk through. He performs miracles on their behalf. Um, You know, he he does all kinds of—he gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus— And all of these things are important about what happens in Exodus, but none of these things are— complete in terms of what Exodus is really about. And when we look at the whole book um, as a complete picture, what we see is that the heartbeat of Exodus is God gathering a people, identifying a community that he has chosen and bringing them to himself in relationship. And he's teaching a group of people what it means to enter into deep relationship with himself, with the God who created the universe and who loves these people. And so this is where we get what God says to Moses in Exodus 19. So God has brought the people out of Egypt and he speaks these words to Moses and he says, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." 
although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God is bringing these people into relationship with him. And in his interactions with Moses, he teaches the people what, it, what repentance looks like and how it's related to moving deeper into relationship with God. So because Exodus is so long, one of the things that immediately stands out from um, looking at all of Exodus is that relationship with God takes time to form. Relationship with God develops over time and experience. It's not something that comes out fully formed. It's not something that happens and is deep and is intimate right away. There's a starting point and there's a way that it develops, but it develops through time. It develops through wrestling with God. The, is, the people of Israel are learning what it means to be in relationship with God. And one of the things that we see is that God is very intentional about not letting the Israelites get stuck in a place of shallow and superficial relationship. All right, so let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I'll tell you a little story. So um, when I was in high school, I had my first crush on a girl that was actually reciprocated. I was a junior in high school, and I asked her to the homecoming dance. She said yes, and I was so excited. This was my first real relationship. And I remember being in the kitchen of my house, talking to my mom, and I was just gushing. I was like, oh, mom, I like this girl so much. You know, my feelings are so deep for her. I'm so excited to go to homecoming with her. And my mom is just standing there. She's looking at me. I can tell she's holding some comments back. But she ends up just saying, you know, just take it slow. It may not turn into the relationship that you think it's going to. And of course, as a 16-year-old boy, I knew better because I knew how deep my feelings were for her. I knew, you know, the thoughts of my mind and how I could imagine these feelings extending out for years. I knew the poems that I was writing for her. I was moved to poetry for this girl. And so these deep emotions lasted for about two weeks. We went to homecoming. About two weeks later, I had the sudden realization that this girl and I had virtually nothing in common. And then, of course, I was stuck in that really awkward, painful phase of like, how do I end this first real relationship? All right, so what's the point here? Okay, the point is, your mom is always right. Listen to your mom. But beyond that, the point is that God is committed to ensuring that the Israelites learn the difference between a crush and a relationship. And when you look at the first 20 chapters of Exodus, what you basically see is the Israelites in this phase of their relationship where they have this huge crush on God, right? Because who wouldn't? God basically shows up, they re-encounter God, and they are trapped 
in slavery under the most powerful nation on earth in Egypt. And God basically breaks down the doors. He overturns the social system. He sends all these plagues out of nothing to prove that he can mess with the Egyptians. The Pharaoh, who is considered a deity by the Egyptians, God publicly shames over and over again. He demonstrates his his supremacy over um, the magicians in the court. And um, he opens up the seas so that they can go out. And then when they're on the other side and they have no drinking water in the wilderness, he opens up the rock so that they can drink fresh water. And then they're hungry. They have nothing to eat. And he causes manna and quail, bread and meat to fall from the sky so that they can eat. I mean, who would not swipe right on a god like this, right? Okay, that's a dating app reference. Yes, I had to look it up to make sure I got the right direction. But... The the Israelites are smitten by God, right? God has done everything that they could have hoped for. And so this is what they know about God at this point. They know that God is very powerful. They know that God does things for us, the Israelites. He's on, you know, he's on our side. He does things for us. And I want to suggest that for many of us, we can probably identify with the Israelites. Some of us started our relationship with God in a similar place. We may have found ourselves in a place where there was something in the circumstances of life that we encountered that we could not overcome on our own. Maybe it was a grief. Maybe it was a loss. Maybe it was a sickness. Maybe... um, You know, it was an existential crisis where we're trying to figure out, is there meaning and purpose in life besides what I see? But we may have been in a place where we knew that we could not figure out, solve, escape from our situation on our own. And God shows up and demonstrates that he is very powerful. He can do things for us. And and for some of us, that was the start of our relationship with God. And then we see in Exodus 20, God provides the Ten Commandments for the Israelites. And so, in addition to knowing that God is very powerful, and in addition to knowing that God does things for us, the Israelites also learn that God asks us to obey him. And for some of us, This third item that God asks us to obey him is also a central part of of how our relationship with God is framed. Um, For some of us, we might have grown up in like a religious household, a religious family, and this may have been the major thing. Like we may not have experienced that God is very powerful and God does things for us for ourselves. We may have heard about that from our parents or for other people, but we knew that God asks us to obey him, that there is a duty to honor and reverence God, and that we needed to take that seriously. So this is where the Israelites were as well. Now, the challenge is, so on the one hand, there's nothing wrong with starting a relationship with God with these attributes. It's where many of us start. But what God is committed to is ensuring that our relationship with God doesn't just stay here with these attributes. Because the problem is, if these are the primary things that mediate our relationship with God, 
when life happens and another circumstance comes our way and we get stuck in a different place and we find ourselves wanting something or needing something and not able to move forward and we look to God and God doesn't answer in the same way that he did in the first place, then we start to wonder, is God really as powerful as I thought he was? Or does God really do things for me in the way that I thought he did things for me? Or, you know, I've been trying to obey God in the way that God has asked for, but it doesn't seem to be working. God doesn't seem to be holding up his end of the bargain. And if we're stuck in that place, we start to look for other options that work better for our lives. We start to think, maybe there's something that can get what I want or what I need because God doesn't seem to be coming through. And some of us have made some of those choices, and that actually ends up being exactly what the Israelites do. In Exodus 32, the Israelites find themselves on the base of Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up to the mountain, and he's been gone a very, very long time. And Exodus 32.1 says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. They figured, Moses is gone, and maybe he's never coming back. Maybe he took God with him. Maybe, you know, the God who seemed so powerful and seemed to provide, maybe this God isn't going to come through in this instance when we have specific needs. And maybe we better find a solution for ourselves. And they find Aaron, Moses' brother. They provide for him their jewelry, their gold, and out comes this calf. And this is what God says to Moses when he sees this. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Now that's pretty strong language from God. And on one level, I think it's fair to say that there is a reason why there's a sense of anger or outrage from God. I mean, God is the one that brought the people out of Egypt that performed all those miracles, that kept them safe, that provided for them. And now the people have made this little golden statue and said, hey, the statue did it for us. And so if you're God, there probably is a level of anger or outrage or a feeling that's kind of, that's the best we can describe of how God was feeling. I do want to suggest, however, that it's probably not true that God just wanted, you know, Moses out of the way so that he could just destroy all the people. Because the reality is, if God wants to destroy people, God can just go ahead and do it. 
no, nothing can really stand in the way of that. And so when we hear a message of judgment here, when we often see messages of judgment in Scripture, behind that message of judgment, God is often engaging with people to give them an opportunity to repent, to reconcile, to press into relationship in a different way. In this context, he is shaping Moses, testing Moses, and seeing whether Moses is able to take another step into deeper relationship with God. And if Moses is ready to do that, then he'll be able to help lead the Israelites into a deeper relationship with God. And so we're going to look a little bit about how that comes out in God's interactions with Moses. How does God lead Moses into deeper relationship through this picture of repentance? But before we do that, I want to take a second to look at this word that God uses, stiff-necked. Because the heart of the reason why relationship with God is so hard for the Israelites is because they are stiff-necked. Like, what did God mean when he used this word? And so I was thinking about it, and I realized, well, I actually know someone who knows quite a bit about stiff-necks. Uh, our host today, Adam uh, Fields, it happens to be an amazing chiropractor. And so I called him up. And I'm like, hey, can you share a little bit about stiff necks for us to help us understand this passage a little bit better? So he said yes. If you don't know Adam, he and his wife Layla have the two most incredible little girls. We are so blessed to have them in our community. And uh, so let's give him a, uh, just a hand of applause for Thanks. being here with us, for helping us out. So, Adam, you're a chiropractor. Uh, for those of us here who maybe don't know exactly what that is or have never been to one, what does a chiropractor actually do? You know, I'll give you a very short version. Um, the spine here, this thing, houses your central nervous system, right? The brain is here, the spinal cord comes down, and then at each segment, these nerves come out. I asked a lot of people, where's the spinal cord? They don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> um, and so... You know, Hippocrates said, look well to the spine for the cause and cure of disease. So when this spine is distorted, there is neurological distortion. There's lack of communication between the brain and the body. There's lack of firing to the brain. So when it comes to stiff-necked, what happens is, is the head can go forward a little bit, maybe too much late <laughs> night getting ready for the message here. Um, so the head goes forward like this, and you know, we all do this, right? And, uh, and then the muscles go, oh my gosh, I've got to hold this thing up. So it just clamps down and clamps down and clamps. And finally, you get a stiff neck. So you okay. see a lot of stiff necks in your practice? I see a lot of stiff necks. Okay. And what, I mean, what are some of the most common causes? What, what causes the well, stiff neck? Well, there's the obvious. There's, you know, falling a bike, a trike, a skateboard, a car crash, that kind of thing. But the reality is, is us in this room, texters, gamers, commuters, programmers, binge watchers, you know, cell phone users. Okay, stop. Right? You're convicting us. Okay, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Guilt. Um, so what's interesting, though, is that you know when you when you talked about the stiff neck, I looked it up, right? And it means like stubborn, and um, and sort of inflexible towards God. And science now is caught up with them with the Bible, because when this when we lose our curve and our head goes forward like this, and the mechanics change, there's a lack of firing to the brain. 
And the brain needs this to remain neurologically flexible, right? Um, you can see it like, some, like a, a, let's say a mother's really stiff, she has a stiff neck and she gets irritable, she can't handle the child or whatever, it's getting too loud. You know, or, or an extreme example might be the old timer, you know, going, get off my lawn, right? <laughs> um, you know, we, 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 we have these, the, the nervous system, literally the fight or flight response, the stress response, the response that happens when a lion walks in this room goes up when our posture isn't good. Lung capacity goes down, all these things change. It's, it's incredible. So when I work on people, I'm seeing things, not just aches and pains, but stress levels go down and performance go up and that kind of thing. Okay, so if someone comes into your office and has a stiff neck, what are you doing to make it better? I'm roll, how, rolling how, my sleeve How do you address up. it? Yeah, yeah. Going to work. Um, first of all, I need a willing participant, right? Mm -hmm. I need somebody that's, that's willing to partner up with me, that's not just wants to go, okay, pain-free to go, please. Take it at the door, and I'm trying to be Adam Fields of Nazareth, rise and be healed. <laughs> and so we, we get somebody who's willing to work at home, to get, mm. on a, uh, get on a little exercise regime, to maybe lower their sugar intake, to decrease the inflammation in their bodies. And then I, in the office, will do things like traction and what's called the chiropractic adjustment to create alignment. And we know what alignment is. We actually know what the curve should be. We know that we shouldn't be like, hey, what's up, right? <laughs> we, and so, and so we, we create alignment. The head is over the shoulders, which mm. is over the hips and over the knees and... and uh, Ankles. So what you're really aiming for in addressing a stiff neck is returning the body to the alignment that it was intended for. Absolutely. Okay. This was not intended. This is like, you know, severe spinal damage at zero miles per hour. Okay. You know, right here. Okay. Yeah. All right. So give us a picture of what difference it makes. I mean, in the end, you know, a lot of us can identify with some of the habits that you're describing. Right. Does it really make that much of a difference if you're living with a stiff neck or if you're addressing it like... Right. Put a, it's like, yeah. so what? Big yeah. deal, right? But there are things sort of that are, that are silent, that are acting on our nervous systems, that are decreasing our ability to handle stress and our ability to run and leap for a ball or get in and out of our car or dance at a wedding or whatnot hmm. that, that start improving. Sure, symptomatically, we're going to get changed. They're going to be feeling better, etc. But there are other life things that are going to be changed. Um, I'd love to tell a story, though. Could tell I? a story. Okay. Yeah. okay. So um, this involves my mom. Uh, my parents, uh, when I was young, they were into, my mom's Jewish. She were all kinds of religions. And, and, you know, in fact, they were into uh, Hinduism. They had gurus. They were going to, when I was born, they, I, they wanted to give me up to an Indian ashram to be a yogi. I think my older brother helped <laughs> stop that. Um, <laughs> And so, and so my mom, you know, my mom was, you know, was, was, was just not into Jesus and, and somebody had been witnessing to her, witnessing to her and she's like anything but Jesus, you know, I'm Jewish, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so finally he's like, just ask him if he's real, you know? And so she's, okay, Jesus, if you're real, show me. Mm -hmm. And it was like the Holy Spirit came on her mm -hmm. and she had a a massive conversion experience she had. A, she was filled up with the Lord. She mm. knew right away. There mm. was no question. She went to go see Tom Jones' concert that night, and she was kind of repulsed by the whole thing. But there was a couple that was there, and she witnessed to the woman, and the woman accepted the Lord that night. Wow. My mom didn't even know that, that, that there wasn't a, such thing as, uh, you know, dying and not becoming a frog or something like that. I mean, she, she didn't know the Bible. She knew it from, from being a Jew, but not, not Christianity. And so, um, so anyway, 
she goes and she starts witnessing in the prisons. She had the key. She was bringing people mm. to the Lord. And she went on a trip to Hawaii. She was, went out on some very big surf, and she got in a body surfing accident, and it, it, it left her in radical pain. Mm. She goes to a chiropractor. He says, well, 10 visits, you'll be fine. 10th visit, she felt better. But they didn't fix the structure. They just mm. helped the symptoms. Six months later, she, grew, she, she had horrible pain. It's around 1977. And it just spiraled. And so I had a mom that was in bed. Um, this is, you know, 11 years old. I'm coming home from school, giving her a shot of morphine and emptying the bedpan. Mm -hmm. And so this was a completely... I knew all the scriptures, you know, for healing. By his stripes, Isaiah 53, by his stripes you are healed. And, and anyone says this mountain, be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And, and so... I'm trying to build my faith, but I'm going to sleep going, is this happening because of my sin? You know, what's going on? You know, I'm, I'm a young kid and I had no idea. And so, so I ended up going to chiropractic school. I mean, being Jewish, you know, it's like a fetus doesn't become a human being until it has a doctor after its name, you know? And, and, and so I have a lot of doctors in my family and nobody could help her. And so I never thought I could help her. I never, it never went through my head, which is really weird. You think I'd be going through school and going, okay, how can I help my mom? Mm. I just, my, my brother was an amazing chiropractor. My uncle's a medical doctor, etc. And so I went to Guatemala. I'm like, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to go have an adventure. So I had my adjusting table on my back. I would pedal in my village, into villages on my mountain bike and adjust the natives. I worked in a hospital. And, um, and I get a fax from my mom. I need you. You know, and it's 10.30 in the morning. I'm just about to secure a lease on a building. I've been there about eight months. And I told my friend, I said, you sign the lease, I'll be back. I got on the 2.30 flight. And uh, I never, I never, I just went back to pick up my stuff because I said, I got to help her. Mm. And I, I moved in with my parents. And I said, you got to do everything I say, mom. You know, and I felt like God was just, I was a marionette and God was just telling me. My, you know, we, we had five hour long conversations and things like that. She got off the drugs. I mean, I went through the opiate crisis. And many times I'm shaking my mom, breathe, breathe, breathe. Mm. And so I started to see this woman emerge mm. and get into the shower. And I ended up buying a Suburban so she could lie down in the back and I could take her places. And, and whoa, 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 we're getting this. Then she's going to the doctor. We're doing detoxes with her. And they're saying, you're premenopausal. She's like, but I'm in my... I'm 75 years old. And, um, and so about four years in, she's doing a foam roll. She's foam rolling. And I kept saying, Mom, you got a foam roll. She gets on the massage table. I'm not in the office. And she foam rolls off the adjusting table. Granted, she's about 80% better now. So it's a whole different mom. I've never, I never knew this person could exist. And that last drop off the massage table hit her sacrum in a way that God did the final adjustment. And, I mean, he's got a sense of humor, I guess, you know. Um, But, you know, going from suicidal pain for many years... That's your mom now, huh? What? No. Is she here? No, no, that... Oh, there she is. (laughs) (laughs) This is her at 86, and um, doing it, making it happen. I push her hard. I push her hard. Let's go to the other one. 87 years old, hiking in Zion National Park. Um, don't give up your prayers. You know, God is so good. God is so good. Who knows why? Maybe, maybe I was supposed to be here to 
today to tell you this. That's why it happened. Maybe you just put compassion in me. Who knows why 19 years of our lives was a massive struggle. Mm. But God can use it for good. Mm. Thanks for letting me be here. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. All right. What I want us to wrestle with, what I want us to, to hear, is that the picture that Adam describes around being physically stiff-necked and the impact that that can have on our bodies, the way that that comes about because we get focused on things that we really weren't designed to get focused on and our entire body kind of conforms to allow us to focus on something and then that causes our whole body to be out of alignment. It has other impacts on the way that we engage with life as a whole. It can come through something acute like Adam's mom. It can come slowly over time from small choices that we make. But when we're trying to get healed from that kind of stiff neck, from being out of alignment, the key is being willing to acknowledge that we're not in the right place, that things are not lined up the way that they're supposed to be, and allow our bodies to return to the way that they were designed to be. And in our spiritual life, we were created for relationship with God. We were created to love God, to know God's love. We were created for the presence of God and for the presence of God to fill our lives and to be, to be the most important thing that we experience each and every day. To be the thing that we are seeking after and striving for more than anything else in our lives. And so when we have this picture of stiff-neckedness and the opposite of that to be sensitive to God, to be able to move in the direction that he's moving us to, what allows that to happen, that realignment to happen, is the work of repentance. Repentance is the process of realigning with God, and it's the key to be able to go deeper into relationship with him. And what God does is that God basically sets up a series of choices for Moses to teach him what repentance actually looks like. To teach him, to teach us, to be able to teach through Moses the people of God. And so the first thing that he teaches us is that repentance is expressed through our choices and our priorities. And the first choice that God presents to Moses is in this passage that we looked at. And God says to Moses, I've seen these people. They are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. And God presents this choice to Moses where he basically says, Moses, it can be all about you. You've grown up hearing about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how the whole people of Israel came from their bodies, that they were the forefathers, they were the patriarchs. And now I'm ready to wipe all these people out and start over with you. You will be in the hall of fame in Israelite history. Do you want it to be all about you? And Moses has a choice to make. And Moses can either say, Yes, I want it to be all about me. Let's move, I, can, I can let go of the promises that you've made to these people. We can take the easy way 
and just do it through me and we don't have to do the hard work of repentance. We don't have to do the hard work of reconnecting with you. We don't have to do the hard work of figuring out what this relationship is actually going to look like and we can just start over with me. That's the choice that Moses had and Moses says no. That's not good enough. That you've started this process with these people You've already put your reputation on the line, God, because you brought these people out of Egypt. What is it going to look like if you just wipe them all out? And how will I really know what it means to be in relationship with you? How will these people really know what it means to be relationship with, in relationship with you if we just give up now? And so the first thing that we learn about repentance is that repentance begins with recognizing that it's not all about us. That if the most important thing in our lives is taking care of number one, and that number one is us, and, and we just want life to go well for us, we're never going to be in the right posture to repent. Because God's work in our lives is about us, but it's about far more than us. And we need to be willing to say, God, you're number one. It's not all about me in order to get into the right posture for repentance. So then God has another decision for Moses to make. And this is the passage that we read at the beginning. He says, I'm going to drive out all your enemies before you. I'm going to, it's time to move out with the people to go into the promised land. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going to go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. And in this choice that God is offering to Moses, God is basically saying, Moses, I can make your wildest dreams come true. Everything that you've hoped for since you were a kid, freedom for the people, that they would have a land, a homeland of their own, and it's going to be an incredible land. It's going to be dripping with milk and honey. All your needs are going to be provided for, and you're going to be the one to bring them in it. That's what I'm offering you. And I want you to think about what would that be for you? When you think about your wildest dreams, your highest aspirations in your life, what would it mean if God said, I can make that happen for you? And maybe you're in high school and you're thinking, that dream college that would just make my life, that's what it would look like. Maybe you're in college and you're thinking, no, it's not college. It's that dream job coming out of college. Or maybe you're out in the world and it's having that perfect career or finding that perfect person to be in relationship with or having that perfect family or any number of other things that our hearts long for. For some of us, it's not what we want. It's actually what we'd like God to undo. There may be some pain or suffering or grief that has filled our lives and our deepest longing is for God to undo it. All of these things are legitimate longings of our heart. But if God were to offer them to us and to say, there's just one thing, my presence isn't going to be with you if, you, if that dream comes true. That I'm not going to be in relationship with you there. You're not going to have me. You can have this, but you're not going to have me. What would we say? What would we choose? And Moses says to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. We'd rather stay in the wilderness 
then go somewhere great without you. How will anyone know what, that you are pleased with me and that your people and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So what does Moses teach us about repentance in this choice? He shows us that repentance is choosing the most choosing that the most important thing in our lives is the presence of God. That's what spiritual alignment looks like. That's what we were designed for. The most important thing in our lives is the presence of God. What we're seeking after, our number one priority, is to know God, to know God's heart, to be in his presence more than anything else. And repentance is aligning with that. It's re-choosing that anew. And there's actually a really important insight embedded in this because for some of us, as we have developed in our faith, we've actually developed in a way where we don't even have a category for God being present or not present in our lives except whether life is going well. And we assume if God is answering my prayers, if life is going well, then of course God must be present in my life. And Moses says, that's not so. Everything could be going well, and God might not be there. Do you know what it means to know the presence of God? And the important thing with that is to know that sometimes we might be in circumstances that we would never choose for ourselves. A place of suffering, a place of grief, a place of loss or disappointment. And even in that place, God's presence can be with us. That God's love and his support can hold us in that place and bring us through it. Still give us hope. Still allow us to walk with him. That's what Moses teaches us. That no matter what we're going through, good or bad, no matter what the circumstances in our life are, that we experience fullness of life and freedom. We live the way that we were intended to live when we seek after God with all of our heart and we put that longing for God's presence first in our lives. And this is what the Israelites discovered as they did the hard work of repentance and as they followed Moses into continued relationship with God. They learned that it wasn't just that God was powerful, although, yes, he was. It wasn't just that God did things for them, although he did. It wasn't just that God asked them to obey him, although he did. What they learned most of all, the most important thing that they learned, was that God loved them with an everlasting love. That God never, there, there was nothing that they could do that would cause God to permanently turn his back on them. That God always was calling them back to himself. That God wanted to be their number one and would always be working for their good, reaching out for them, drawing them into his heart. And that's what we experience too. That's what we see when we read the words, for God, for, um, for God showed the fullness of his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what it means when Jesus hung on the cross and said, there is nothing 
that I will allow to separate you from my love. I will always have an open door to you returning because I love you that much. And so we always have that opportunity to repent, whether it's been five minutes that we've been out of step with God's will or five years or 50 years. And, you know, some of us struggle with posture more than others. I know I struggle with it a lot. It's so easy for our posture to get out of alignment, for us to focus on something and to forget whether we're sitting straight or standing straight. And certainly it's just like that for us in our spiritual lives. We get attracted by shiny things. We feel like there's something that we have to have to have a life that's worth living. And then God calls us back. That's the process of repentance to realign and to say, you know what? What I really need is the presence of God. What I really need is to know that God is in my life and he loves me. So what I want to do as we close is just um, to give you two invitations to take a next step in that direction. Uh, the first invitation is just to say, repentance is a way that we start our relationship with God. Um, there is a place and time for all of us that if there are things that we're doing that we know God is not pleased with, it's not God's best for our lives. There are ways that we're breaking God's heart. It's right for us to acknowledge those specific things and to say, God, I'm sorry. I turn from them. God, I turn back to you. Help me to live in a different way. But what Moses teaches us is not just to stay there and focus on behavior, but to go underneath those actions and to say, what I really want to get to is where my heart isn't trusting something else for happiness and joy, my heart is set on knowing you first and foremost. That's where I want to be aligned with you. And so if you are making that decision for the first time, you're really starting a relationship with God with repentance. And I just invite you to respond to God in that way. There's a place on your connection card. You can do it either on the paper card or the app where you can just say, I commit to become a new follower of Jesus. That's stepping in with a posture of repentance to say, I want to be in relationship with God more than anything else in my life. Or maybe you once were a follower of Jesus. You were aligned with him, but you know that you've been moving in a different direction for a long period of time. And today is your day to realign and to say, today I recommit to him. You can go ahead and mark that down and take that step of repentance today. The other thing that I want to invite for all of us is to be able to step into a lifestyle of repentance as a regular part of our day. That repentance isn't just something that we do when we feel like, oh, I really messed up. But that sense of alignment and longing for God first, for the presence of God, is really a realignment that we can do each and every day of our lives. And so I want to invite you, if you're not already doing this, and some of us already have time in our, carved out in our schedule, but to invite you to spend five to ten minutes as a starting point each day. And in those five, to ten, five or ten minutes, just to do these four things— there are four simple things that we can do in that small space of time. The first thing is we can ask God for help to see our lives the way that he sees them. And as we look on our lives with his eyes, 
we reflect on our previous day. We reflect on our last 24 hours. And we ask, God, where was I in alignment with you and seeking you? And where was I out of alignment and really seeking something else? And as we reflect on that, we can declare or reaffirm to God that in the next day, in the next 24 hours, we want God's presence more than anything else. And we can just express that to God. And then the fourth thing is that we can ask God for help to actually live in that way. This is actually adapted from a spiritual practice that people have been doing for hundreds of years. It's just a simple way to realign and to live in a posture of repentance day by day. It takes about three weeks to build up a habit, but I want to encourage you just to do these four things in five or ten minutes each day this week and see what a difference this makes in your life, how sensitive and aware you are of God's presence and what he's doing in your life.